One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually boring, sir. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you surely man? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast in the week that the fans took the power back, Murph. Mm-hmm. A long, detailed statement from Fenway Sports Group last night. And they didn't leave... Too much doubt or any wiggle room at all. <laughs> Essentially, it was well, so it's principal owner John W. Henry, chairman Tom Werner, and president Mike Gordon have tonight issued the following message to Liverpool supporters. So that's how it begins. I'll just summarise it for you here because there's, there's a fair bit in it. Uh, it starts with an apology for the distress caused by the ticket price plans for next season. Moves. It's always good to start with a direct apology. That's mm-hmm. going to make people feel a little bit better about things. Moves on to dismiss the notion that they are some sort of blood-sucking leeches trying to bleed the club dry for their own ends. My words... Not theirs, but that's the sentiment. Then explains the rationale that they had behind the original ticket price plan. They go on to admit that they were mistaken on that one. They say to themselves, a great many of you have objected strongly to the £77 price level of our most expensive general admission seats and express a clear expectation that the club should forego any increased revenue from raising prices and general admission tickets in the current environment. Message received. After an intense period of consultation with LFC management, we've decided to make major revisions to our ticketing structure for 2016-2017. So the changes are removal of game categorisation, which means, it's a funny one, because that's quite a standard fare in, in other leagues. Yeah, if you've ever tried to go to a Barcelona game, for example, you're going to be paying a lot more to play Real, watch them play Real Madrid if you can get a ticket than you are watching them play Levante or whatever it might be. But anyway, that's... But you would think it's fair enough. Yeah, that's that's one of the issues though, that people have. So that one's gone. It's, it's all gone, essentially. The pricing of tickets will be readjusted to result in zero revenue growth from general admission ticketing. Uh, We are freezing our 2016-2017 ticket revenue at the current level. The price of our highest general admission ticket will be frozen at the current level. The price of our highest season ticket... um, Yeah, it's just, yeah, price of our highest general admission ticket and price of our highest season ticket will be frozen. Essentially, everything's being frozen, both for this coming season and the season after that. They've announced it for two years. And also a couple of other £9 general admission seats will be offered for each and every Premier League match. They also explain, look, here are all the other initiatives that we have already put in place, but that was uh, that were either glossed over or used to, as a means for people to try to claim that we were profiteering and just mm. putting these... Essentially, people were saying, oh yeah, well, look, you, you say you're doing some good stuff here, but really you're just trying to cover up for the profiteering that you're doing. So they've just reminded people that there was some good stuff in the original... Mm. Is ticketing plan. Yeah, I think, think? I think um, with statements like this, there two things can kind of can kind of happen. The, the first one can be right. Well, you, it's a climb down, uh, and people will recognise that it's a climb down. And then the second part of that can often be, well, it's pretty passive, passive aggressive 
as climb downs go. So you may have repaired the damage done by the actual uh, thing that you're now apologizing for, but you haven't repaired any of the PR damage. And I would have to say that this statement is a lot less vampiric than I would have thought it might have been. You know, when really rich people tell you that, okay, we're not going to take quite as much money as we thought, as we were hoping to yeah. out of your pockets. Uh, I think that there is, it's a pretty well written statement. It is, yeah. It, and I, I think that the reaction of Liverpool fans this morning and of people in the press generally as well is that, right, okay, they've done much better than the bare minimum here in this statement from a pure standpoint. Well, it seems really the whole tone of the statement is set early on when they say the three of us have been particularly troubled by the perception that we don't care about our supporters that we are greedy and that we are attempting to extract personal profits at the club's expense quite the opposite is true now uh, personally I think they, they're they protesting a little too much mm. and they're trying to present themselves as almost like a charitable organisation in yeah. certain ways we're just here to serve Liverpool when really you, you are looking for profits why else are you involved in this endeavour and we'll talk to Tony Barrett a little bit about that one but it also it, it, firstly, that is what the fans want to hear. And secondly, you can maybe get away with saying these kind of things when you're in the middle of announcing that you're acceding to all the club's yeah. requests. Yeah. You're, you're, if you're ever going to try to portray yourself in that way, now is maybe the time to do it. Yeah. 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 You're, you're, you are right there that the idea that they're in it for something other than money is just... This great... To serve this great institution, that's essentially what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like kind of... You know, rugby players talking about how, you know, I'm only minding the jersey here. Yeah, I'm only minding the jersey and, you know, lining my pockets with my extremely lucrative international rugby career as well. Now, I'm not saying that they're uh, the same here, but I mean, you know, you can't, it does kind of give you a little bit of a pukey feeling in the back of your throat, really, to be honest. Uh, but I mean, I mean, at the same time, like they're in it for, they're in it to earn money. It just so happens that for them to earn money, a lot of things have to happen that you as a fan would be pretty happy with. So for them to earn loads of money, the team has to be really successful. So at that point, fans' needs and their needs uh, meet, uh, they align, and that's fine. Everyone's happy. So, I mean, you know, like, the, 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 everyone knows they're in, it, they're in it for the money. So let's not over-egg the pudding here with the you know, custodians of this great club. It was important that they got this done quickly, because while 10,000 fans did walk out, many thousands of fans stayed in their seats and people who were there did describe scenes of tension. Obviously, you've got some people walking out from similar areas, other people standing there and saying, how can you possibly walk out in Liverpool Football Club? And something that Jamie Carragher alluded to, he walked out, he, he did mention that there was it was strange, it was a little bit toxic. Um, so the fact that they've got this done now is pretty important, although I do wonder if there is going to be a little bit of resentment there, both from the supporters who stayed and felt that there are other ways of getting this done, and more to the point, maybe from supporters who left and will feel, listen, we've done the hard work here so that you 30-odd thousand people who stayed in the stadium don't have to pay ridiculous mm. uh, ridiculous fees and ticket prices. We'll get into all that in a little while. Well, between that and this Sunday's Premier League top of the table double header coming up, we've lots to get into. We won't be doing so with Ken Early, who's away on holidays this week. As mentioned on Monday, he will be back this coming Monday. But look, we've got him to step in for today's podcast. Richie Sadler is here. Richie, how are you? Oh, and how are you doing? I'm sitting in Ken's seat, actually. I feel under pressure to get everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> to make big, bold statements that yeah, don't come true. Yeah. Well, this is it. And uh, 
you'd have noticed the absence of our, our friend. It was a scheduled holiday, he assures us. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, he was quick to take it, certainly after. Um, he didn't head straight to the airport after the third goal. I mean, I can see Man City beating 4 0. Yeah, the measure of the man <laughs> that he came in. It was good to see. Delighted to hear it. But listen, it's not about the fact that I was right. It's, it's not about that. The main thing is Ken was wrong. And <laughs> we need to focus on that. Yeah. <laughs> what did you make of the Leicester performance? Excellent. It, it, it was really good. Um, it was more of what we've seen all season. That There was nothing, if you look at it one way, there was nothing particularly surprising about it. They, they've played the same way. They were, they were as impressive as they've been. Um, it did seem to be like a turning point. I mean, the big headline grabber was the fact that the bookies made them favourites, but it seems to be a turning point in how people are now viewing them. Mm. That it's not, um, it's not just a short-term little run that, that they should be patted on the back for. They're now a genuine shot for the title. So... Um, Another big one this weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, not everybody is feeling that that way about them. You noticed one prominent football pundit. Who, Alan who, Smith. Yes. Did you see what he said yesterday? No. He did an interview which was shown on Sky Sports News, and at one point the standout comment for me was something along the lines of, it, it would be embarrassing really for Arsenal if they were to be pipped for the title by Leicester City. I was gobsmacked when I heard him say that. I mean... Like, is he talking about Arsenal, this group of serial winners who, who every year, no matter what challenge they face, they overcome it and they, they emerge with a trophy. Like, for him to come from, I assume, from a very, like, Arsenal yeah. viewpoint because of his background, um, that doesn't stack up at all. I mean, obviously, it's ridiculously arrogant to think that, that there's anything in that Arsenal squad which should be, by right, think that they should finish as champions. We haven't seen anything demonstrated by them. When's the last time they won it? Oh, what year are we looking at now? It's 11, is it 10, 11 years ago now? Right. So no one in the squad at the moment, I assume? No. No. So it, it, it's just a really arrogant thing to say, completely disrespectful of what Leicester have shown. Um, and I can't wait to see the game this weekend um, and how, particularly how Arsenal approached that, because I know you've spoken in a lot of podcasts recently about are opponents of Leicester going to change their approach are they going to maybe change their mindset? Are they going to take Leicester a bit more seriously? This is a huge game for Arsenal. Yeah, the, the, the weird thing that, I've, that I have seen, say, with United teams, when, when Ferguson was winning leagues serially, he oftentimes would overthink these games, these big games between first and second or first and third or something like that. And when, when I was watching Leicester last Saturday, the one thing that they didn't do was change anything about how they play you know, the, the whole idea of it is you're, you're top of the league, you're going to the team in second place, a draw do you find. This is usually a situation where managers start getting a little cagey, get a little coy. And the way that City, Leicester City played last, year, last week was just so freewheeling, so exactly the same way they're playing that there's no way in hell really that they would think to now go to the Emirates this Sunday and do something different to what's been working for them all, all season. And I don't think they should look to do anything different because it's been successful. But you're right, there isn't any sign so far that they go into games n- nervously or with a different approach or that they... They're priori- tightening up in any yeah, way. Yeah, that they prioritise. You know, we, we, we need to change what we're doing because because the opponents are, are just so good that our game isn't going to work. And they've proven time and time again that exactly how they play is a winning formula. So I wouldn't expect anything different from them this weekend. But... Whether there's anything different from Arsenal or not, I don't know. Are they going to play their normal game and play into Leicester's hands? Take, potentially, could be great. Yeah, so it's oh uh, three oh four. Just double checking. So it's actually twelve years now since Arsenal won the league, assuming they don't win it this season. So why would why would he say that it's it's embarrassing? Well, maybe 
precisely because of that, precisely because he's been watching Arsenal missing out on league titles that he probably feels they should have won over the last number of years. And in the head of the heads of a lot of Arsenal fans, there might be a feeling of, oh, geez, whatever about losing to Chelsea, losing to United, losing to these teams, we can't, come on, we can't lose a league title to Leicester. But you, you could make an argument that, that Arsene Wenger's whole approach has never been results-driven. He's, he's always stuck out to me as somebody who, who has an ideal or a philosophy or, or a way in which he wants a team to play. And actually, there was a book, do you know the book... Um, Sitting on the Volcano, is that what it's called? Oh, What's uh, it? Living on the Living Volcano. Living on the Volcano. Yeah, I've just got that. So money, the first chapter in. There's a lovely phrase in it. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it kind of praises Arsenal, Arsene Wenger for sticking out among the crowd of managers that he, he is this kind of pursuit of an ideal, a pursuit of excellence rather than necessarily the result. His belief is that one will achieve the other. So, And they haven't been doing that, if you were to, to in a very crude way, kind of judge Arsenal by the amount of trophies they've won. But Arsenal keep him there and, and, and praise him and think he's the man. So Arsenal's whole approach has been about playing a certain way and and and, and getting players to play the way Wenger thinks the game should be played. It's never been about necessarily winning trophies or not. They've never judged themselves in terms of being a success or not, whether they win trophies or not, because they haven't been winning leagues. So Well, that's the owners maybe, and that's Arsene Wenger to an extent, but it's not the supporters mm. who have regularly shown... Um, signs of disapproval of their manager and of some of the players who've played for them. They'll be disgusted, though, this season if, if, if they see Leicester. Well, yeah, they absolutely yeah. they absolutely will be. Uh, and I I don't know how much pressure would necessarily heap on Wenger. People have been saying that for so many years now that I don't think if they come second to Leicester, it's necessarily going to, to change anything. No, I don't think it will at all. But, I mean, even Ken's piece a few weeks ago when he broke down in, in one of his columns, he broke down the points total that Arsenal are at and the predicted total that they get at the end of the season if things change. Arsenal haven't jumped in standard this season. They've yeah. just done what they've always done. Even I think Ken even said they possibly will get less points than they've had on, on, in most seasons well, recently. Possibly now, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, to be honest, actually reading that article, uh, it changed quite a bit my feelings on Arsenal this year, to be honest. Me too. <laughs> to be honest, you know, like I, I, for whatever reason, there hasn't been... You know, an embarrassing result. You know, they they seem to have it's, something about them seem to have changed. But actually, reading when presented with bald statistics that, that say they're doing exactly what they always do, no better, no worse, uh, since they won the since they last won the league, you're kind of you, the kind of any confidence I had in Arsenal was kind of draining out of me by the end of of, of that article. I, I was the very same, because up until that point, you could you could kind of regularly enough think it yourself and hear other people saying it, things they know that Arsenal are showing a steeliness that hasn't been there there's a consistency they're getting results that they wouldn't have picked up in the past and you were basing that purely on the fact that they were near the top of the league or at the top Yeah, other <laughs> than the Southampton results yeah actually. that one yeah, that was yeah. the surprise and, and then you read Ken's piece and you go okay well this is just Arsenal doing what Arsenal have always done I hear we don't have to say nice things about him now just because he got the yeah, may, yeah maybe I'm overdoing it <laughs> spectacularly wrong I mean I fed him all the information for yeah, that column true, yeah. <laughs> all my work under his name it was every Sunday evening a big, big phone call with Richie before the column well I think we might have mentioned this in the podcast a couple of weeks ago Wenger was interviewed after one of the results recently what was it, it wasn't it was obviously a negative result because the question was along the lines of what would you say to fans I love this the, uh, well, fairness we've all been guilty of this mm. as interviewers over the years what would you say to people who say yeah. <laughs> in other words I don't really want to say this but to people who say oh same old Arsenal you know sort of throwing away the league and he was so annoyed you could see him he was he, he was he generally controls himself so he did control himself but you could see just this steely look and he said well 
I've been here for 20 years and we've won league titles and FA Cups and we're a, a great club. So uh, essentially he wouldn't accept the premise of the question, which was fair enough, I would say, from his point of view. But in, mean, in the meantime, Mauricio Pochettino, um, not too far away from, from Arsenal there, is being hailed by Alex Ferguson as the best manager in the Premier League this week. Yeah, and they were called last se- uh, last week by the Watford coach. That, the that's best by Alex team. Ferguson, I should say. By the way, yeah. yeah. So and, Ferguson and, and, and Watford coach last season called them the best team in the league. Yeah. Um, they're, they're kind of moving very far from what we typically would think of with an Ar- with a Tottenham team. Um, they're still burdened by comparisons, and you, you know you still hear people say, it, and I've said it myself. You know, when you're talking about Tottenham, yeah, but it is. You know, it's only Tottenham. But their defensive record is is, is brilliant. They're they're pressing game and the amount of work they get through in a game is is huge. I think their shots against statistic is really with a really really tight ship and there isn't like they're they're a complete team. Like I know Kane sometimes can get the headlines because he gets the goals and Deli Ali the same because he's he's emerged from nowhere really but as a complete unit there isn't many weaknesses there at all. Is Pochettino the best manager in the Premier League? I, I really don't like those kind of questions because how do you compare? Um, I mean, he's been brilliant this season and with uh, in in the what's now become kind of the accepted measurements of how a team should perform in a season. Things like transfer spends and wage bills. Like he's what he's getting from what he he's been given is is superb. Yeah, like it probably compares better than all the other managers. I I, I don't know. Well, well Matt Ranieri, Ranieri this yeah, season. obviously that's <laughs> yeah. the yeah. In fact, bar them, we'd be talking about nobody here. But Tottenham, Tottenham that's the point. This would, yeah. be the Pochettino, this would be the Pochettino season if it wasn't for what Leicester were doing in a lot of ways. And know? even if they do win it, they'll be tinged with oh God. Wouldn't it have been great if Leicester won it instead? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I no, should I, just sorry, Murph, to go across here, but I probably should give some context for that Alex Ferguson quote. I'm just reading the Daily Mail article on it here. Um, this is so Sir Alex Ferguson has hailed Maurizio Pochettino as the best manager in the Premier League, according to Labour MP for Tottenham, David Lammy, right? So Lammy is on a on the Spurs show podcast, and he says, I'm going to let you into a secret. <laughs> About six weeks ago, I sat next to Sir Alex Ferguson at a dinner in support of grassroots football abroad. He said to me, I think you guys have got the best manager in the Premier League. Alex Ferguson said that. <laughs> so I'm not going to accuse Alex Ferguson of maybe saying something similar to a Leicester City fan if he's sitting beside him at a fundraiser. Uh, it wasn't as though... Ferguson, you know, called the press conference to announce that he feels it. <laughs> I've got something I need to get off my chest. But they are in this situation, they're going into this game on Sunday, which potentially they've got the most to gain here in the sense that they're playing City, right? They're a point ahead of City. If they win that game, suddenly Manchester City are in a lot of bother here, depending on what happens in the other game. And they're, 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 they could be close to knocking City out of the title race. And if they manage to do that, they'll be looking at Leicester and they'll be looking at Arsenal and thinking, this is, this is our season, Spurs that is. Yeah, I think it, it, it's. I think a lot of people will think that, particularly say if Arsenal lose this weekend, if City will lose this weekend, people will assume that's their title shot gone. But I, I don't necessarily agree with that. There's another twelve games after this weekend. Yeah. Like they're all going to lose matches. I don't think any of those teams are going to win them all. They'll all drop points. They'll all draw games. So, um, but every week I think we are going to approach it with that with that view that there's, City, there's a defeat away from yeah, being true. a killer blow landed here and, and and I just don't I think we're, well, it's still early February so I think there's still a lot if you have four games to go and there's an eight point gap you're starting to say right well teams are struggling here yeah well City are in 47 points and Leicester in fourth and Leicester are 53 points in first say Leicester win and City lose that gap becomes nine points mm. well, actually I suppose it's not exactly insurmountable uh, at that point I'm in the middle of listening to Peter Beardsley on Graham Hunter's podcast talking about the Newcastle collapse back in that whatever season that what was. Were they 12 points? 12 points clear at one stage. And, and Beardsley was interesting on it. He said, 
he never thought, he never felt, oh, we've got this done. He said supporters definitely did. He got that sense. Supporters felt, we've got this in the bag. He said he never felt it, but he, he was feeling pretty confident about things. But what happened was when the leads started being chipped away, the negative thoughts crept in quite quickly. It was like suddenly, oh, hang on, we're only three points ahead and we were 12 ahead. Now that 12 ahead, I think, included a game in hand for Man United. So mm. really that was a false, probably a false uh, number to have in your head anyway, if I remember correctly. But it was quite interesting at, at the way he spoke about that because people focus on the... Keegan blowing up and the the weird logic that they bought Ficino Espria halfway through mm. a season and that that ruined them. He said that was nonsense. Espria was brilliant. They played really well in most of the games. It was an absolute head case but, but helped them on the field. They just, their open style, he said, just caught them in the end. They kept going after games and, and got caught a few times. But yeah, I suppose maybe you'd want Leicester to go a little bit further ahead before you start thinking about them as, as dead certs. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're far from dead certs yeah. yet. Um, but it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's always interesting as well at this time of the season how much emphasis people put on the 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 psychological side of things. Like you know, are, are Tottenham going to crumble? Will Will Leicester? Will it all come on top for them? Even yeah. Alan Shearer said a match of the day last week when 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 he was when he won it with Blackburn, they fell over the line. I think of the last six games, they 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 lost a good few of them, and mm-hmm. um, because the pressure, they were just close to the the, the finishing line, and it got to them. So. Um, we're not a bot- we're not bottlers. Remember the Tim Flowers interview that he did, where really? he just he just said the word bottler like fifteen times in thirty seconds. It's always con- so. it's it's always considered like if you, if you lose a game towards the end of the season that you've done it for because you've bottled it, mm. as opposed to any other normal. Re- like if you played the same way and the same result was achieved in September, you you might point to other things to explain the defeat. But in in if it happens in in end of March or April, you've bottled it. You're weak. Mm. You couldn't take the pressure. Mm. And I mean, and if, that's and you've ultimately let yourself down. But I mean, if you look at the fixtures they have next, they have Norwich and West Brom at home. This is Leicester. Then Watford away, Newcastle at home, Crystal Palace away, Southampton at home, Sunderland away. Sorry, can I change that? We're a dead cert. <laughs> West Ham at home, Swansea at home. Uh, like that takes you up to the twenty third of April. I mean, they could have won the league by that. You know, <laughs> it's ridiculous, it's isn't it? Like they have United, uh, Everton, and Chelsea in their last three games. Given the the quality of teams that they're playing between now and the thirtieth of April, I mean, it might not matter who they're playing in the last three games. Yeah, and I suppose relative to the demands on the other squads as well, they've got a fairly light load ahead. That, that's yeah, the full that's fixture it. list. Yeah, they're four they're, games in March. You know, compared to say United when they're going for the treble, or you know, just teams that are competing at the top end of Champions League and FA Cup. I mean, four games in March is absolutely unheard of. Five games in April. <laughs> Why do you think it is that the focus is always on the uh, psychological aspect of it when it comes to title run-ins? And is it not fair that it is? Is, that, is it actually not mostly about about that, about keeping your head, keeping your nerve, keeping your bottle? <laughs> um, I, I don't think, know how many other yeah. <laughs> like, you know, different ways of phrasing the same question. Um, is, is it always about that? I think that it is a... It, it's a big an issue, I think, as you allow it to become. I think you, you can you can listen to sports people who've retired or still play, and they can come up with very effective ways of just eliminating all external factors. And they can they can generally I don't know how they can do it as effectively, but they just focus on the job that they're doing and what's written in the papers. And 
Sean Dice did it very well, actually, his mm. explanation. He, he said, I think the analogy he used when I interviewed him, he said, you know when you're going into a pub in a bar and you're seeing your mate and it's rammed and there's music and there's roaring and there's pints being pil- spilt everywhere. When you see your mate's face at the bar, you just clock his face and you eyeball him and you go from him. And everything else just becomes irrelevant, eyes on the prize and you're there. <laughs> and that's probably most sports people wouldn't use analogy of going into a bar with pints flying everywhere to explain focus. But that that kind of an approach that it, I think if a team can can master that, however they do it, whether it's endless amount of team meetings, whether it's working with a psychologist, whether it's it's constant references from the manager to to that side of things, and I, I don't know, I don't know. There's many ways of different of doing it, but if you do, if you do acknowledge that it's a real thing within the club, no point in fans and and people like ourselves talking about it. If within the dressing room you acknowledge that if if this is going to hinge on our ability to forget what they're saying about us in Match of the Day or on programmes or on forums or what they're singing in the, sa- in the stands. We need to forget all about that and just remember that me as a centre forward or me as a defender, I need to just go out and do the thing that's got me in this position and keep doing it. And when you simplify it in those terms, like, y- you can very effectively... Yeah. I remember, I, and I think I said this in second captains, when I was on the bus on the way to... Um, Lansdowne Road as it was at the time the night I got my debut for the Irish team Quinn sat next to me and you could sense that I was very nervous mm. and what he said was he said listen just go out and do exactly what you've been doing since you're about 8 years old and I'm going okay right grand so I've 14 years experience since I'm 8 of doing a particular job and I said right I'll go out and do it again and that in that moment now if the other thoughts came back in then shortly after it and I still did start kind of think up the significance of it all and you know my family's there and blah 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 but there's ways of doing it yeah yeah just uh, but say in relation to all of what you've just said there does the fact that they actually have such a light schedule does that nearly like go against them then in that in that idea that if you want to just keep like laser focus on what you need to do is what is playing more games actually more beneficial to just take yourself out of that? Because if you're looking at, say, the fixtures here, like it's one game a week, Saturday, 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 Saturday in April, where you, there's like five days where you're you, five match days and 30 days of, you know, 25 days in the in the month where you're not playing a game. And all you're thinking about is we're on the verge of doing something that's that's historic, un- unprecedented in football. Yeah, and, and, and the other way you could look at that is, well, we're at home resting. So yeah. so the little knocks and the injuries that we might be getting if we had a game on the Wednesday, I, I get the opportunity to rest and I'm sitting up and tell you watching maybe some of our rivals playing the other com- club competitions, maybe seeing them lose games and you're, you're looking at the impact on their confidence, they might pick up injuries as well. So it's... The physical bleeds into the psychological in... in yeah, I, I, I would still prefer, if I, if I had a situation of... And, and my, my target was to win the Premier League. I, I, I wouldn't see it as a negative that I had a whole week to prepare for each game and to recover from each game. Mark McGee, our, our manager at Millwall, would always say, within five minutes of the final whistle of a game, would be in the dressing room. And he said, lads, preparation for the next game starts now. Before we'd even gotten in the shower. He said, it starts now. Whatever, whether it was the next Tuesday or the next Sunday or whenever... He said, so everything you do from now, have kickoff of the next game in mind. So what you eat, where you go, how you train, when you sleep. And, and we bought into that. So it, it's, it's, it's down to individual responsibility. It's the whole, and then what, what message you're getting from the manager. I think he said they always get two days off a week. I read that in, in one of the pieces. He said to the lads, give me everything when you're here and you'll always get a couple of days off a week. And that seems to 
it's one of the many, many things that is working for them. We'll come back to this before the end of the show, Richie, to get, uh, get your predictions for Sunday, seeing as you're on a bit of a roll. But uh, we want I'm going to gonna be in America. You're going to be in America for the weekend? Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'll be in New York. So what's the story? What time will I have to get up to see the matches? It's a, it's a five-hour difference. So uh, for, Well, the first game's half it's 12, isn't it? Half so 12, you're so gonna be half, half, seven. half seven. I'm but assuming the like, they're televised live over there, yeah. They yeah are, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they're, uh, uh, get yourself into a nice, grubby Irish bar, filthy McNasty's. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm already, already booked a table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other news I wanted to ask you about, though, before we get Tony Barrett up on this, is your reaction to Liverpool's climb down over the ticket prices. Are you glad? I I am. I think it's it, it's a sensible decision, and I think I, I I really liked the fact that the 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 so many supporters took kind of a, a meaningful stance, other than you know the other ways where we usually hear supporters kind of complain about different things, whether it's you know online or on the internet or singing songs or, or, or whatever. Like it was, I I I was pleased to see it, and I think it's the right outcome. Um, I, I did read a couple of pieces, which I mean, the, the the simple approach to this was just to say, you know, clubs are getting richer. Why are you stinging fans? You know, re- reduce tickets everywhere. But there was a couple of really interesting pieces, which kind of uh, explained that the, you know there are certain pitfalls with just reducing prices right mm-hmm. across the board. You're just going to massively increase demand. Of the, the supply of tickets isn't going to go up. There's the same amount of CT either way. And if there's a huge demand, how do you prioritise who gets the ticket then? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Is it people? You live in the locality. Is it your attendance record? If attendance record off, often is based on your spending power, so are you discriminating against people because they don't have the money to go often? And how do you do, do you means test fans? Like it, it becomes really, really difficult when you if you make it affordable for everyone, because everyone will want to go and everyone's available to go, and then you're just going to have you know all sorts of additional problems. But um, yeah, it, it, it did seem actually when I first before the weekend I, I saw Ian Air do a an interview and he actually sounded quite convincing before before I, I knew there was a um there, there was there was complaints within the supporters and I, I realized that the the walkout was going to happen but when Ian Eyre explained it now like he was very I said, you know there are 77 quid tickets but there's only 200 of them only for six top games and he, he stressed all the other discounts that were available but yeah which they did again today the the Statement was interesting in that it accepted, okay, we, we've made a mistake here, but it also did outline all the rationale for the original decision, which is probably the right way to go. Uh, so, they, uh, okay, let's admit a bit of culpability here. It turns out 10,000 you walked out, so we must have got something wrong. But here's what we were trying to do uh, on radio. We didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. <laughs> That's essentially their statement. Yeah, and he said as well that, that they had been in discussions with supporters over oh, the yeah. previous few yeah. months, this this wasn't something that it just landed on people. That's and what, I th- yeah, and I, and I think as well. While, while, I mean, I think they were right to come to, to for the what's now being perceived as a climb down, and the, the the right outcome was 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 arrived at. But to be honest, I I think it's a it's part of a wider concern among fans at the moment. They just feel as if they're being totally left behind or or shafted, and that their that their rights or the that keeping them happy is they're being pushed way down the list, behind, you know, behind TV companies, sponsors, executives, that everyone else seems to be making money and they're having to pay more money. So um, I think, I, I don't think there was a massively unreasonable sh- ticketing system that Liverpool put in place. But I think on the back of just this perception that fans are being ignored, I think that's where a lot of the, the anger would have come from. Mercy, stay with us. Tony Barrett is ready to talk to us about this. Tony, is there a nice warm feeling around Merseyside this morning? But it is to be fair. It's a situation that shouldn't have happened. I think if you if you go back a week to when the the ticket prices and the rises were first announced, and there was a very different mood, obviously then, and and understandably so. 
uh, it was it was a total misjudgment by Liverpool's owners to to try and implement the kind of ticket ticket structures that they wanted. Uh, they, they, they misread the situation totally. I know they'd worked with, with uh, a ticket working group for 13 months, uh, and and basically that Jordan at that period of time, the, the people on that working group had said, "Listen, this isn't this isn't going to work. It's not going to uh, go down well with supporters. It's not the right time." Popular opinions against this, but I think what I think the mistake that the owners made was that they thought the the working group spoke for a, a limited constituency when the reality was there was a, a tidal wave of, of public opinion that was against ticket price rises and, and they did they got engulfed by that tidal wave and, and the, the protest on Saturday at Anfield which was absolutely extraordinary something which I don't, I don't think it, the, the protest organisers could have imagined in the, in the wildest dreams with the went as, as well as it did in terms of the number of people taking part once that had happened it, there was going to have to be a U-turn the, the question was just how big the U-turn was being would be, and, and that was answered last night in, in, in terms of what was a spectacular climb down by Liverpool's owners, and it, but whatever the rights and wrongs and whatever you look at the situation, uh, they, they come out of this, they were damaged initially, but I think they have prepared some of that damage because they have been prepared to listen and uh, they just need to make sure they don't make the same mistakes again in future. Did they go a little bit OTT in parts of their statements, Tony? I don't know if this is me being a bit unfair on them, but from our first days as owners, we've understood that serving as custodians of this incredible institution is a distinct privilege, and as such, we've been driven solely by the desire to return LFC to the pinnacle of football. To that end, we've never taken out a single penny out of the football club. Uh, you know, These are, are hard-nosed businessmen. They're sort of painting themselves as benevolent benefactors, but I guess you can do that when you're issuing a statement like this, succeeding to the request of the fans. Yeah, I mean, the venture capitalists, when it comes down to it, and they are in it to make money, and, and everyone can dress it up how they want, but that, but that is the end game for them. They, they bought what is a distressed asset, uh, and their end objective, and, and as, as, a, as a venture capitalist, they will have uh, an exit strategy, and within that, they, there will be a price that they will be, look at, be, be willing to sell at, and I think everyone's totally realistic about that. I think, to be fair, from where, where I've got a bit of sympathy for them, the, the, the accusation of, of them being personally greedy, I, I don't think that applies to this ticket situation. I think the ticket in the situation, you were talking two million quid, it wasn't it, it, the kind of extraordinary figures uh, that would make a massive difference on, on a balance sheet. You, you were talking uh, two million pound per season uh, for a club the size of Liverpool. It's, it doesn't even cover Jose Enrique's annual salary. So I think you have to put the figures in perspective. But what it did do is it, where it did mean a lot those kind of figures was where it meant what it meant in the pockets of, of average supporters and that that's where the greed accusation came in but that was what they were responding to it in that they were basically demanding people listen whether you may think of us we, we haven't come here to, to assets at your club we haven't taken money out uh, we do want to be successful while we're here I think all those things are true I, I think whatever they whatever people's views of the capitalist system are, and, uh, there, there'll be plenty of Liverpool who wish it was different. I mean, you do have to give them the credit of being certainly decent owners. You, you, look at, you look at what's happened at other clubs, you look at what happened at Liverpool previously under different ownership, and these owners don't fall into the category as, as the, the, the type who, who take everything that's good out of the club for their own benefit. That certainly hasn't happened. They, they've made sure that there's money available for the manager every year. They, they've tried to build the club up. They've tried to make it financially more robust. And, and they've succeeded in that front. The, the, the only thing is, it was, it was just this, this ticket price issue. It was a step too far, and, and they were told that. Is there a danger, Tony, that there has been a bit of damage done now between the 
supporters, the 10,000 supporters who protested and the 30-odd thousand supporters who stayed in the ground. Jamie Carragher, one of the guys who walked out very um, notably and, and prominently, he compared it to the atmosphere to 2010 in the dying days of the Hicks-Gillette regime when there was an acrid atmosphere around the place. Now, it was, a, it, it, it was very much self-contained in that one game because the owners have acted so quickly since then. But while it was extraordinary to look at it, you can only sense that people, I'm sure some friends, some family members, some groups, some of them might have been leaving, some of them might have been staying. Are there going to be any lingering issues there? I'm sure there will be a bit of that. There will be resentments on, on probably on both sides. But I think there are, there are a few issues you have to bear in mind. I think everyone has to be be aware that everyone's a right to do as they please. If you don't want to walk out, you don't have to. I mean, I, I've got friends who walked out who, who didn't really want to, didn't really understand the reasons why, but did walk out. I've got others who walked out uh, without thinking twice because for them it was the right thing. And then there are other people who, who, who basically Liverpool... They, they, it's anathema to them, the idea that you could, could walk out on the bring, and you have to respect that. You also have to respect the families who, who maybe were at, at their only game this season, uh, the people who haven't seen Liverpool win very much lately. And so you have to respect all those things. I, for me, it, it, listen, I, it, had I been sat in the, the stand, I'd have been walking out, but within that, I think you also have to respect other views. And, and the, other, the other element that you have to take into account is Anfield's a very transient crowd these days. You don't tend to get the same, well, you don't get anything like the same 44,000 people on a weekly basis. You may well get a hardcore of 18, 20, maybe up to 25,000 people, mainly season technology with the same every week. But in, in, in the main, the, the identities of the people who come to Liverpool match actually change a lot. So, so there's all those things to bear in mind. I, I, I don't think it will be a problem going forward. I think there will be a little bit of resentment, and that, that's only natural in these circumstances, but I think it will fade quite quickly because the results have been so emphatic in favour of the supporters who did walk out. Matthew Syed wrote an interesting column in your piece, which uh, wouldn't have gone down well in Liverpool, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said, Tony, but uh, essentially he had a couple of central points. One is, this is before the club reversed the reverse the prices. The first point was essentially, look, this represents, these price rises represent good value for money. People are going to pay them and it's going to be 100% occupancy rate. So just by the basic law of economics, it's actually fair to charge what they're charging. But he also, he made an interesting point which I hadn't considered. He said, when fan groups ask for lower prices, there's always a caveat. What they really mean is the prices should be reduced for them. They want official fan groups to have privileged access to cheaper seats or those who already own season tickets. They want to exploit incumbency advantage, a closed shop and all but name, thus denying those eager to attend games but who are less well connected. Does he have a point? No. Uh, I was asked about this on Twitter quite a few times yesterday and, and the beauty of democracy means we can disagree with our work colleagues and in this case I, I disagree with Matthew fundamentally. I've got, I've got no idea where that idea comes from. Uh, if you look at what the... You, you've got to take the Liverpool example lately. Uh, what the fan group for for was, was fair prices for all. Uh, if you look at the £77 tickets in particular, they were going to be uh, targeted at a particular market, and that particular market wasn't going to be uh, the people who ordinarily belong to fan groups. So, so that that is that, that to me is a complete myth. They they fought for everyone, and everyone has now benefited. There was no sense of uh, we want this for for our, our members. There was no sense that we want this for people who sit in a particular part of the ground. That the overriding feeling was that they were doing it for everyone. And I, I think Jamie Carragher made a good point in, in the column he wrote that this wasn't just about Anfield on a match day. It was about football as a whole. It was about football fans up and down the country getting a fairer deal because it doesn't just apply to Liverpool. It applies much wider than that. But there, there, were, there were lots of points in, in Matthew's piece that I, I, well, I, I actually 
there wasn't a point in it that I agreed with, and, and I had to say that to him. And listen, I've got a great deal of respect for Matthew, but on this, we we have to agree to differ. And I, I think if if he'd spoken to some of the people involved in in organising the protest, he may have seen things a little bit differently. But but as it was, he, he saw it the way he did, and, and all I can do is, is say is, on this occasion, his views certainly didn't match mine. No, and I appreciate the frankness of your answer, Tony. But just to follow up on that specific point about the the fan groups doing it for themselves essentially his point there is that you know you 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 freeze prices or you lower prices demand increases that's all well and good but the tickets are going to go to the people who are well connected and as sports fans we've all suffered from this we've all wished at various stages we're better connected to clubs and to associations so that therefore we can be in a position to get these tickets and essentially the argument is that no, no, no new fans are going to be able to get to the ground if the ticket prices are lower. It just means that the fan groups are paying less for the tickets that they already have. Yeah, and listen, there, there are so many layers of difficulty to ticket, and, and I think that's something that everyone needs to appreciate, appreciate about this. And, and when Liverpool made their big mistake, I, I don't think there was enough uh, credence given to that, that this process has become incredibly difficult because you do have a core support that's been there a very long time, uh, is very loyal, but then they do, particularly with away tickets, they do monopolise away tickets to to a great degree, or, uh, but you, then you do have travel partners, you have Thomas Cook, which then gets involved, so it is very difficult, and I, I understand that getting new, new supporters into football grounds is uh, part of the process. The problem is it's, it's where the system is broken is lower down. We're not getting younger fans into football grounds as we should. Uh, what would happen when I was first started going to, to matches was, and I, I went to Liverpool and Everton, I was looking to do both was you would queue up and you would pay a very small fee to be able to, to go and stand in, in an area that it wasn't a, a boy's pen but you would naturally gravitate to where young lads went. Now with all seats stadium and with, with so many season tickets and clubs wanting money in advance you're now in a situation where so many seats are taken up before the season even starts that you've got limited general admission. And, and that does leave clubs with a problem. It does It does make life very difficult for them to attract new fans and to, to make things equal. Uh, and there's no way of that. But I've got no idea what the what a different pricing range would make because from my experience, the people who do follow, certainly the, the clubs on their side follow them most loyally, they will do whatever it takes to get money to, to follow their team. Putting the price up won't prevent them uh, from going. There are people who work uh, 16, 17, 18 hours a day on taxis to be able to get their ticket money for, for home and away matches. You go everywhere. You will not stop them going. So I, just think, I think the idea that, that charging people less uh, will make it uh, harder for new fans to come is, is just a bit divorced from reality. And I, but I do agree that it's an issue that needs tackling. Okay, well, fascinating stuff. Listen, Tony, brilliant as ever. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, good to speak to you. See if you don't get this out with mother, Emil. You're away, mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it in fans? Just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the gun is book a record stuff. Get a grab! He's your biggest fool. Manchester.
Yeah, I did have a feeling that Tony mightn't, mightn't fully agree with <laughs> some of the points that Matthew Syed was, um, was writing there. And in fairness, Syed wasn't the only one. There was a piece in The Economist, which was a more, uh, uh, more obviously economic argument against the, uh, uh, against the idea that ticket prices should be reduced or should be frozen. But they've, they've changed. And just that, over, that general issue of trying to attract younger fans to games, is that something that uh, should be easy for Premier League clubs to do? To not only attract young fans, but to actually give them areas or give them a pos- give them means to get to the games. Like I think, first of all, I think the, the one thing that came from the weekend is just how effective a strategy uh, an in-match walkout can be for any set of fans. All the cameras are there; it's going to be discussed by everyone. So, if you have a complaint, that's the way to to, to voice your concerns. But on, on the whole thing of the attracting new people in, I I, I always wonder. Like, what do people think the ideal makeup of a of a of a packed stadium is? Because if you're saying, you know, you often hear, you know, we want to bring more women in, we want to bring more ethnic minorities, we want to bring more children in, and um, we want to bring young people in. And then if you a lot of the discussion in the past week about why ticketing prices have gone up and up, people are kind of demonising the you know the international fans, Irish fans who go over that they're driving up the they might go once once or twice a week and they're driving up the prices for the locals as if your proximity to the ground gives you more of a right to be there and all that kind of stuff so Tony was right in what he's saying ticketing is a very complex issue and um, particularly if you start trying to play a role in devising the makeup of what your crowd should be in, in normal circumstances you, you run an event you sell tickets and you hope to fill it mm. and that's what Premier League clubs are doing they're doing it very effectively and like Matthew Syed's piece you could say it's a it's a winning formula because they're filling it every week so complex area but I don't know how you prioritise fans. I don't know, should a young person get priority over the 45-year-old who lives down the road and has been going for 35 years? <laughs> I know what yeah. you like, mean. Why? Yeah. And then is, why? is that ageist by its very nature? Exactly. That's and, and if you live in a different country, like why shouldn't you? Why should the fella living down the road get a priority over the fella who maybe was born in England and left the country? Like, sh- are we shutting him out then? Do you know, if he wants to come back. So... The minefield if you get into that whole area, but generally speaking, the clubs are doing it right because they're filling the grounds, but they need to give the impression that they take on board fans' views more than they do. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not entirely unique to football, but I mean, it's pretty close. When you think about a sport where there's saturation for tickets, not just for the two biggest events of the year, but for every game, you've got this this problem where, right, as a business, we can charge whatever we like. The ground will more than likely be full, it not maybe not of the exact demographic of people that we want in the uh, in the ground every single week, but we can fill it pretty much regardless of of mm. of price or who we're playing or whatever. Um, you know, like say rugby is a huge sport in England. There, there's you know there's still loads of grounds every weekend in the Aviva Premiership that aren't full, and what their 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 metric is or their problem is. Uh, it's more difficult, but at the same time, it's a lot simpler. It's, we just need more people to come to come to the ground. What football clubs have to deal with is how do we not alienate half of our support to, so that the other because the other half are going to come anyway. I mean, it, it's a pretty entrenched problem. Yeah, how, how how do they give the impression that everyone feels included? We're all wi- yeah. riding this wave of ridiculous money, and we want to make everyone feel as if they're being brought along with it as well. So Tony was, I, I think, right to say that you could rise prices to whatever you like, and there's a certain amount of people who will always find the money to go. But I think it's also absolutely true to say if you reduce prices, you will absolutely massively increase demand. 
And when you increase demand massively, it increases then the decisions the clubs have to make, which by its very nature increases the amount of people the clubs are going to piss off. Let's uh, wrap up with some Richie Sadler predictions. Arsenal versus Leicester. Away win for me, Owen. Away win, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I am in Ken's chair, though. <laughs> and Man City Spurs. I will go for a draw or a Spurs win. I can't see City winning that. Draw or a Spurs win there. So but I'll be well away. I'll be in America. So I'll be shielded from all this criticism if there is <laughs> any coming my way. Indeed. Well, I'm sure we'll get you back in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Richie. Thanks very much, Richie. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, I should flag the other podcast we have today. We're going to be talking uh, to... Will I reveal the identity of... Well, might already, some people might have already read uh, the, the blurbs or, or mm. have started listening to the other podcast. We're talking to Jamie Cudmore about Paul O'Connell. I don't think we could pick anyone uh, more intertwined with the competitive or spirit of him Paul O'Connell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Eddie O'Sullivan as well in that program. What else are we doing? We're going to chat after this. Plenty, plenty more good stuff there. So have a listen. What's going on? That's the second time it's gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 